Hey guys, just Jake here. Um, just a little message before this episode goes up online. Um, I've done all my sound checks and that sort of thing, and then, yeah, hit record. And I don't know what it is, but there is this little squeak sound um, in this recording. You'll probably mainly notice it now because I said something about it. Um, no, you would have noticed it anyway. Um, no idea what it is. It's kind of annoying. I hope it doesn't totally ruin the episode for you, um, but I think I've worked it out now. I think it's just sort of a dodgy cable on this microphone um, that I've been using that I've sort of adjusted a little bit, but anyway, just thought I'd give you forewarning in case that sort of stuff really bugs you and you can decide either to skip this episode or just grin and bear it for 45 minutes. I didn't realize until after I'd finished recording and I had done audio recording tests before I started so always the way it only shows up once you're actually recording and you don't know it's there so um, after 45 minutes I thought it is what it is and yeah hopefully it doesn't ruin the content of the episode for you enjoy ladies and gentlemen boys and girls and everybody in between welcome to another episode of the Jake Botel sports experience Pleasure to be with you on this, oh, what is it, Wednesday where I am. Don't know what day it is when you're listening to this, but it's a pleasure to be in your ear holes talking sport. Hope you've had a nice sports intake um, in your life recently. Can only hope. Can only hope. Um, wanted to start off today with something a little bit random. Maybe not entirely random, but um, I've got all these old uh, media guides uh, that I bought online uh, from a guy who was selling them in South Australia. Uh, I've got, they're generally from the early 90s. I've got like the Dallas Cowboys 1993 media guide, Steelers 1993. The Buffalo Bills, 1993, the Cleveland Browns, the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're basically like the the booklet. They're a dense little booklet of information. They have everything. They've got a little... Oh, everything. Anything that you would need to know heading into that season. Um, you know, about the team and about their history, about their previous season, all that sort of stuff. Um information on how to get to the press box and that kind of thing. You know, these are the, the media's guide. This was the media guide, you know, that was sent out to people who I guess were covering the sport. Um, and I guess to fans, I don't know. I'm assuming to fans as well. But anyway, um, just they're, they're just full of information on everything, owners and you know, coaches and scouts and the people who work in the video department. We've got stats and player profiles. You know, the, the Dallas Cowboys one has, you know, a full page for every player, um, you know, with their stats and then a write-up of their career. This is essentially what you now find online. You know, if you go onto the website, of the Dallas Cowboys, you would find something pretty much like this, but digitized um, and put online. So I've got these ones for the NFL 
as I said, there's some cool ones like uh, the Steelers. It's Bill Cower is the coach, and um, you've got Marvin Lewis is the I think the linebackers coach or something at that stage. But the really some really cool ones, the Kansas City Chiefs one. Uh, Joe Montana is the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs that year. And in 1993, the fan and media guide for the Cleveland Browns, you've got Bill Belichick as the Cleveland Browns head coach. They're just, they're really cool, really cool artifacts to have a look back through. But I've got one that's older than that, not for the NFL, but I've got one for the NHL. I've got one for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It just says Pittsburgh Penguins fact book. 1978 to 1979 and it's just that that's really cool to look back through um <laughs> just looking at the inside cover of it i think it's uh, on the front cover is orest kindra kindrachuk um i believe is the guy on the front cover back when the penguins wore their white black and sort of powder blue or light blue uniforms and on the inside, it's got 1978 to 1979 Penguins home schedule on the inside cover. Um, it's got the list of games. And then down the bottom, it says all games home and away broadcast on KDKA Radio, 10.20 a.m. Ticket prices, $9.50, 50 $8.50, $7.50, $5.75, $4.75, $4.50. <laughs> uh, things have changed, hey? Um so this is the same sort of thing. It's got lots of information and that sort of thing. Some great pictures of haircuts. I might post some pictures actually on our, on the Instagram. I might take some pictures of some of this stuff and put it up. If you know, and if you're interested in seeing more of it, I'll I'll post some more. But I thought I'd um have a look at a, a have a look at what they were doing on this day in the season try and have a just see if there was a game played um, I'm recording this on the 10th of November um, so the 77 to 78 penguins opened their season on October 12th that year against st. Louis uh, they had a win 4-2 started with a win um, and then you know they're playing games every few days the closest game we have to today in 1978 1979 was Wednesday the 9th of November. Uh, they didn't play another game until the uh, Saturday the 12th after that. So let's go. Oh, I'm on the 10th of November, Wednesday the 10th of November. So let's go with they played game number 13 against Cleveland. I don't know what Cleveland's ice hockey team would have been in 1978. It just says Cleveland. Some of the teams have names, New York Rangers, Islanders, all that sort of thing, but Cleveland does not. There you go. Maybe someone can tweet that at me. What was the what was Cleveland's team? I mean, I can go and search for it, but you know, someone might know and be able to tweet it at me. Anyway, so yeah, almost on this day. <laughs> the Wednesday the 9th of November in 1977. Uh, Pittsburgh played a home game against Cleveland in the NHL. They won the game five to three. That moved them to four, eight, and one on the season with 35 goals for and 54 goals against. 
wasn't a great season for the Penguins that year. By the end of the year, they ended up 25, 37, and 18 um, with 254 goals for and 321 against. Like I said, I'll put some of this stuff up. It's really cool. Yeah, I need to send you some of the pictures and that sort of thing um, so that you can check it out because it's really cool. So that was 1978, not 1977. 1978, they played that game against Cleveland. Um, all time, yeah. So it's everything. It's like all time, all time stats for the club, for the franchise. You know, stats for the the previous seasons. It's it's just all the information you would find on a website today, just in a little book, um, and some classic styling pictures. I'll have to I'll have to put some up. All right. Let's talk some sport from the present day, though. Um, I'll start with the NFL. Uh, so, lot, I was going to say lots of games this weekend. Well, of course, there were lots of games. It's the NFL. Um, but a few, I guess, to, to key in on. Really enjoyed getting together with uh, Jack Johnston of Dog Hungry Podcast. Uh, out Here out of the farm, we watched... Vikings and Ravens, obviously Jack being a Vikings fan, uh, and <laughs> I got to live a life in the day of a Vikings fan, essentially, as watched them dominate the opening parts of the game against the Ravens, you know, going up 17-3, to then the Ravens score a touchdown just before halftime, it's, I think 17-10, Vikings come out, return a kickoff um, for a touchdown, to start the second half, they're up 24-10. You think, oh, well, they're going to roll from here. Well, yeah, not to be. They get outscored 21-7 or something the rest of the way, um, including Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal in overtime. And, yeah, talking with Jack, uh, it just seemed to be such a typical uh, Vikings game this season where they're so dominant, you know, early on, only to get overrun late. It was a weird game. It felt like that the Vikings' defense was actually playing really, really well. And then all of a sudden, you know, the Ravens just back in the game. It was weird. Both the offense and defense had had parts of the game where they looked great. And you thought, oh, well, it was one of those weird games where you look up and expect to see the Vikings further ahead, but they weren't. And then the Ravens were just suddenly back on level pegging and you're like oh okay uh they're gonna win this um so it's very strange very strange game uh as i discussed on the episode a few probably a week ago now with minnesota jack um about mike zimmer's future as the coach of the vikings you would think it becomes increasingly difficult for him to keep his job with every passing loss they've got the charges this week i think the Packers after that. I can't remember what it is, but they've definitely got the Packers in the next month. So, you know, as we discussed on that episode with Minnesota Jack on the on the therapy couch talking about being a Vikings fan, um, like, it's going to be hard to see the Vikings um, climbing out of this hole if they, they, they keep losing these close games. Like, there was... There was definitely a case to be made that for the much of this game they were the better team, but 
Baltimore storms back and wins at 34-31, much like that Cardinals game. Just really, really strange stuff. Uh, And Lamar Jackson, you know, is a similar watch in that way where you you think, oh, he hasn't played that well. Then you look up and he's, you know, got 266 yards passing, 120 yards rushing, and he's thrown for three touchdowns. You go, oh, yeah, no, he did play quite well. (laughs) He's just, it's just a strange, he's, he's a brilliant player. But just a strange watch, as I said, sometimes you look up, you're watching the game and you just don't think he's played that well or he hasn't put up a lot of numbers and then you you look at the end of the game, yep, 386 total yards uh, and accounting for, you know, three touchdowns. Uh, just crazy stuff. So the Ravens, I think the Ravens, uh, they've got things to work on. I don't think their defense is as formidable as in previous years, but... You know, it's harder. It gets hard to judge defenses because in such an offense-heavy league, I think you know, and people will look at, I guess, the Jags holding the Bills to six points this week. That that Bills defense has had some issues this year. Um, I yeah, they've had some some struggles at times, but you know, most offenses, yeah. This isn't a good week to talk about it, really. I was going to say most high-functioning offenses, you know, are going to put up your 30 points a game. And you know what? To an extent, they did. I think the Browns, when they functioned like they did on the weekend, um, that is a high-functioning offense. They put up 41 points on the Bengals. Um, You look at a team like the Cardinals, put up 31 points on the San Francisco 49ers with Colt McCoy at quarterback, you know, that sort of stuff's insane. But maybe this was the week where defense came back into it because if you if you have a look, you had teams like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs held to 13 points. 13 points. Jordan Love with 190 yards had the most passing yards on the ground. So so in a game with, with the Packers were banged up, they had Zadarius Smith... And and a host of other guys out on defense, and they didn't have Aaron Rodgers, and the Chiefs win by six points. They beat the Packers thirteen to seven, and you have Jordan Love with one hundred and ninety yards leads the game for passing. That's crazy. So maybe the Chiefs aren't a high-powered offense anymore. I don't know. They've got this weird stuff going on there. Um, costly loss. For Green Bay, costly loss. Would have been a nice week to have Aaron Rodgers. Let's just say that. It would have been a really nice week to have Aaron Rodgers when you lose by six points to the Chiefs with Jordan Love at quarterback. And by all reports, I haven't managed to watch that game yet, but by all reports um, from people who have watched the game, Jordan Love did not look ready by any stretch of the imagination. So you just go, wow, what a difference that could have been in a six-point. You don't reckon Rodgers might have earned them an extra six points, maybe? Could have been very costly. Um, could prove to be very costly. The Bills and other, like, what a loss. That could prove to be really costly. Losing to the Jags and the Patriots winning. The Patriots, I think I've said on a previous episode, starting to feel like they're making a sneaky charge back to being um, a division contender, potentially, particularly with the Dolphins going, you know, belly up and the Jets being belly up. I mean, the Dolphins did win, but they beat, you know, the Texans, 
uh, who are basically about as lively as a fried egg at the minute. Um, another, I guess, as I said, not a great week to be a high-powered offense. Maybe the Broncos. Varshi blows. Down goes the Cowboys. 30-16, to 16, and this was 30 to nothing at one point in the final quarter. Teddy Bridgewater leads the way with 249 passing yards. Javante Williams, 111 rushing. Tim Patrick, 85 receiving. So the, the, the Broncos actually lead that game in passing yards, the leading rusher and the leading receiver. Dallas just no-showed on offense. Again, that's a game I haven't got to watch yet, so I would like to go back and watch that one. There's a few games that maybe on paper don't sound that interesting, but I'm intrigued to look at how they unfolded. Like, how the hell, how the fuck did the Denver Broncos get up to a 30 to nothing up on the Dallas Cowboys? Bizarre. Really bizarre. How did the Tennessee Titans beat the LA Rams 28 to 16 with no Derrick Henry? Tell you what, if the Titans look fine without Derrick Henry... Um, good luck ever getting paid ever again as a running back because out of all the offenses in the NFL, you would have thought, well, you know, that's the offense where, you know, you really need that guy. You've got to pay him the mega bucks. Well, I'll tell you what, if they can survive without Derrick Henry, um, good luck ever getting paid ever again as a running back. Um, the Raiders go down to the Giants. Let's get into this game. I wanted to talk about... Um, oh, let's touch actually first on Pittsburgh and, and the Bears. The Steelers win in a weird game, topsy-turvy. The Steelers got out to a, a decent lead to start things off, and then the Bears charged back. The Bears actually took the lead uh, 27-26 with probably minute 40 on the clock. Big Ben and the Steelers go down, get a field goal. Some controversy about a, a really shitty call for taunting um, on the Bears during the Steelers' field goal drive. I ultimately don't think it really impacts... Like, I think... I'm trying to think of the the sequence of events it, to what led to that happening. I guess that did prolong the Steelers' drive from memory. I can't remember what down it was on. But anyway, shitty call. Totally get that. But I tell you what, some people, like some Bears fans and, and ESPN complaining about how many flags were thrown in the game and, and on the Bears as intimate, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, suggesting that there was some sort of favoritism towards Pittsburgh. Give me a break. Like, this happens in the AFL all the time. You see at the end of the game, a team wins, and then the fans of that team or the media go, oh, but look, you know, the free kick count was 20 to 5. It's like, yeah, well, if you commit more fouls, you get more penalties. Like... Just because one, like the, the free kick count does not have to be 50 50. There is nothing that necessitates that at the end of the game we look up and go, oh, yeah, the free kicks are, you know, 14 to 12 or, you know, 13 13. No, that's not how it works. If you get caught committing more penalties, you get more penalties. That's just how it works. Um, you know, so I think while I think that the Bears could definitely feel hard done by on the, um, the taunting call, that was utter bullshit. Um, everything else is just stuff that happens in the normal stretch of an NFL game. Like, you get games like this. And yeah, you could call holding on pretty much every single play. Do we want to call holding on every single play? No. Um, you know, but if you are the most obvious hold on any given play, you're probably going to get called for it. 
I, I just I don't have any sympathy for people who blame referees for teams losing games. There was a lot of moments that led up to that. There was, you know, you dive deep enough into it. Um, there's there's a lot of moments in a football game. If you are saying that a referee's call cost your team a game, um, yeah, that's stuff you got to live with. You know, if you want to start looking at that, the Steelers were cost a game against the Saints, um, a crucial game that had massive impacts on their playoff chances a couple of seasons ago on a, a play where I think the Saints had someone lined up in the neutral zone and wasn't called a penalty or something like that. And, you know, that led to the, the Steelers losing the game, or as in that led to the steel, the game ending before the Steelers had an opportunity to, to win. Now, you could blame the umpires for that. You could say, oh, you know, Pittsburgh lost because of that call. No, they didn't. There's a whole bunch of moments that led up to that game. The one that stands out to me as a, as a referee's bad call really costing a team was that pass interference between New Orleans and the Rams that took the Rams to the Super Bowl. That was horrific. That was, and in that context, that was a play that cost the Saints that game. I just don't think that this was a play that cost the Bears this game, in my opinion. But anyway, I think there's a lot of positives to take out of if you're a Bears fan. One, another loss means you'll probably get Matt Nagy fired. Um, so that's a positive for Bears fans. And number two, Justin Fields looks like he's figuring things out. He, he made some beautiful throws down the stretch, uh, particularly the second half and that obviously go-ahead drive, the throw rolling to his left, throwing to his left. Gosh, if um, Patrick Mahomes makes that throw, the ASBM um, commentary box is just, you know, a booth of orgasms. But, you know, because it's Justin Fields, they can't quite muster up the same, you know, eroticism about, you know, how well he plays. Um I don't know when people are going to get out on the Chiefs experience. It's fascinating to me how we keep salivating over them. It's like, you know, guys, come on. They just beat an Aaron Rodgerless, um, wounded defense Packers 13 to 7. Like, come on. There are other teams to be excited about. We don't have to live in the past. Don't live in the past. That's what I'd say to everyone, sports fans. Don't live in the past. Move on to new things. <laughs> Enjoy new things. Enjoy today. Even if your team's not winning, enjoy. Find something to enjoy. It was like last year with the Steelers, uh, when we, you know, crumbled down the stretch. Or it was more the year before, I think, 20, uh, 2019 when Ben was out injured. You know, that was a tough watch. That offense, that was really bad. But I really enjoyed watching our defense that year. Find something that you enjoy to watch. And this is a broader point too. Um, as we zigzag around the Jake Votel sports experience. The Aaron Rodgers stuff, people are losing their mind about Aaron Rodgers and vaccinations and blah, 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 blah. What are you watching sport for? What are you following sport for? If this guy pisses you off, don't watch or listen to the things that he's on. If you don't like him being on the Pat McAfee show, don't watch the Pat McAfee show. Don't watch any more Packers games. I don't know. Take a stand. Find something else to focus on. There's so much other stuff that can take your attention. And sitting around bitching and moaning on social media about, oh, Aaron Rodgers said this, Aaron Rodgers did that. You know, um, people fighting over it. Give me a break. 
find something else to do. Start another fantasy football team or go and write something. (laughs) Write your thoughts down. Start a blog. Start a podcast. I don't know. Just do something else. Shift your focus. Go and watch an old game. There's so much to consume in sport. I don't know why we insist on focusing on the negative. Um, You know, if we don't like a player, don't watch them. It's pretty simple. Turn the TV off. Mute those terms on your Twitter. You can do that. You can mute different terms from your uh, feed. Block people. Block news outlets. I don't know. Get creative. If there's stuff you don't like, find a way to get it out of your life. There you go. That's my little fucking philosophical five cents worth. Focus on some stuff that you like. Don't focus on stuff that, you know, eternally annoys you. All right. Um, The other game I wanted to talk about was the Chargers and Philadelphia Eagles. The Chargers win 27 to 24, but this game to me was um, important in two regards. One, my boy Jalen Hurts, and two, how shit Philly's defense is. Um, Jalen Hurts cops a lot of shit from people. You know, there was talk about, oh, maybe they should bench him for Gardner Minshew and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not saying Gardner Minshew's a bad player, but if you've spent the draft capital on Hurts, you got to see what you got. you got to get a full season of evaluation, unless he totally goes in the tank. And he didn't go in the tank, and you know what? He's actually improving, and he has improved. Um, let's have a look at Jalen Hurts as a pass-up. Um, in this game, he was 11 of 17 for 162 yards and a touchdown. Um, QB rating, a passer rating, 115.3. He also had 10 rushes for 62 yards. Made some good throws. He made some really, really good throws. Um, And that was something I was really watching closely with him was, and something I've sort of felt needed work was, putting the ball where it needs to go, when it needs to be there. Um, so, you know, leading the receiver to the football or putting the ball on the numbers instead of putting it behind the player so it has to reach back. Making sure that that football gets to the position it needs to be when it needs to be there. And he did that so much better in this game against the Chargers. There were some really, really nice throws, some really, really accurate throws. Not just you know, be able to establish is the difference between a completion and an accurate throw. Because if you've got a wide receiver who's got an acrobatic enough catch radius, you know, you can be relatively inaccurate and get completions. Um, But he made some really accurate throws. And it's worth looking at his accuracy stats. Pro Football Reference, if you go into Pro Football Reference, now this is a free website, it's not Pro Football Focus. If you go into Pro Football Reference and you scan down um, for the last, I think since 2018, they've been keeping advanced passing stats. And you can look at air yards, which has breakdowns of you know the intended air yards per attempt, so who he was intending to throw to, um, the you know completed air yards, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, yards after catch per completion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Jalen Hurts, I want to look at his accuracy. One, in terms of air yards, his intended intended air yards per pass attempt is 8.8 yards. Um, 
and if you look sort of look at the breakdown of his players, it's kind of been a boom or bust offense. They take a lot of deeper shots, um, and haven't really worked in some of this short and intermediate game. I think part of that has come down to his accuracy, but that's been improving. And don't let people tell you fucking otherwise. Um, so. If you compare 2018, he obviously only played the four games in 2020. Sorry, not 2018, 2020. And just played the four games. This was his rookie season. Uh, he only started the four games. He had 77 completions from 40, 148 attempts, so about 50% passing um, for 1,000 yards. Now, if you look at his advanced passing, advanced accuracy. So this year, he's had 168 completions from 273 passes. So I think he's at about 64%. I can't remember. I did have that up before. It's above 60% anyway for 1,981 yards. Now, let's look at the actual, the accuracy per pro football reference. So in 2020, 26.7% of his throws were bad throws, inaccurate throws. 60.7% of his throws were on target. Okay? So his bad throw percentage, 26.7%, and his on target percentage was 60.7%. Fast forward to this year, that bad throw percentage is down to 14.5%, so a 12.2% drop in bad throws. And if you look at Tom Brady's stats in this area, very comparable um, in terms of the bad throw percentage. His on-target percentage, and this has actually jumped since they've added, um, I must have looked at this before they'd added it for the weekend, but his on-target percentage has jumped from 60.7% last year to 76.5% this year. So that's what a 15.8% jump in that category for him. So 12.2% reduction in bad throws and a 15.8% increase in on-target percentage. Uh, he's also he's he's had more drops from his receivers this year. Four point three percent of his throws have ended in a drop. So his accuracy is improving. His accuracy improved to the eye remarkably this week. And if you look, the statistics back that up for the season. He is more accurate this year than he was last year, um, at least per Pro Football Reference. Just 14.5% of his throws are bad throws. 76.5% are on target. And those numbers last season were 26.7% bad throws and 60.7% on target throws. If you look at his just his um, you know gross statistical output this season, um, he's completed 61.5% of his passes almost 2,000 yards, 11 touchdowns, and four interceptions. I think that's pretty. That's a pretty key one that he's only thrown four picks. Um, he threw four picks in four games last year, so to only have thrown four in nine is pretty impressive, if you ask me. Um, thrown for about 7.3 yards per attempt, which you'd want to see that probably come up a little bit. 
um, averaging 220 yards per game uh, through the air with a 90.9 rating, quarterback rating. So I think the, the passing, his passing has improved. We've seen that statistically. So as I said, 11 touchdowns, four interceptions through the air. And then what he adds on the ground is, is really good as well. So nine games, he's had 83 rushes for 494 yards and five touchdowns with 35 first downs. So going at six yards per attempt. And as I said, he's also got five touchdowns. Now he's had some fumbles this year he's had five fumbles but only one of those has been lost so total of five actual turnovers with the one fumble lost and the four interceptions and he's contributed 16 touchdowns 11 through the air and the five on the ground so I think there's a lot you can do with him and I think I've I've liked what I've seen I liked what I saw of him in college obviously and I liked him as an NFL prospect and it's been good to see that his accuracy has improved, uh, which it has both, as I said, to the eye and then also statistically, it it is improving. So that's uh, optimistic for Eagles fans. Or if the Eagles get stupid and trade him or something or cut him, then it's optimistic for whoever picks him up <laughs> or whoever trades for him. If the Eagles, for some reason, fall in love with Gardner Minshew, I don't know. I just think I think he's exciting. I think there's a lot of potential um, with Jalen Hurts, and I, I think that the performance against the Chargers, I think, showed his improvement, and probably showed more of the game script you would like for him, throwing more in that twenty to twenty-five range. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he adds a lot. So that was that. And just the thing with their defense is that, you know, they're giving up something like 75.6% completion percentage to quarterbacks this season. And the last three weeks, it's like 83% on average. So it doesn't matter what the offense puts up. If their defense is giving up 75% and 80% completion, the last three weeks, you're not going to win any games. And that was the sad thing for the Eagles. Their offense actually looked like it had found a bit of something with with, uh, Jordan Howard running the ball. Uh, Devonta Smith had 116 yards receiving. Jalen Hurts did a bit with, you know, through the air and with his legs. They put up 24 points on the charges. And, you know, the defense can't get a stop to save themselves. So they lose 27 to 24. That defense... um, is vanilla with an undertone of shit. Um, they are really, they're a painful watch on defense. They are so vanilla. They're so, it's just soft coverage and just, you know, the, the, it's the whole philosophy of bend, don't break. Well, this is just bend. They just bend and bend and bend and then give up scores. So, yeah, not a massive fan of the Philly Eagles defense. Um, But I think they've got something to cook with on offense. I think they've got some interesting running backs. They've got some interesting receiving weapons in Jalen Rager, uh, obviously the tight end, Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, um, and others. So I think there's there's parts in place in Philly for them to sort of make a leap. And And I would say that, you know, they've got an advantage over a team like, say, Washington, 
in that they may already have their quarterback. You know, I think that's going to be, you know, Washington, one of the most disappointing teams in 2021. You know, it was going to be this awesome defense and Fitzmagic was going to drop dimes and yeah, that's not what's happened. And so you just look at the the trajectory of teams in that in that division. Well, Philly might have a really important position on the field figured out if Jalen Hurts keeps coming on. Um, and if not, like I think Gardner Minshew has talent as well, and there's lots of talent around him. They're not a talent-poor team on on offense. They've got to fix that defense, though. They really have to. And if they were getting something out of that defense, they might have got something out of these games. I mean, they lost to the Chargers by three points. Um, they lost to the – who else? They had close losses. They only lost to Tampa Bay 28-22, and I get that Tampa Bay were well up. But, again, the offense did find something late to charge back, and, and we're in position at one point to try and, you know, if they get the ball back to go ahead. They lost 30-42 to to the Chiefs. So there again, if you can actually get something out of your defense and not give up 42 points, you know, um, yeah, it's a bits and pieces team that's figuring itself out at the moment is how I would describe the Eagles. Uh, what else for sport? Um, T20 World Cup. Let's touch on that briefly. Um, so T20 World Cup is reaching its sort of final stages We've got the semi-finals. We've got two semi-finals, obviously, being semi-finals, but we've got semi-finals between the uh, between England and New Zealand, which is in about nine hours, um, one a.m. my time Thursday morning. So England and New Zealand in Abu Dhabi, and then twenty-four hours later, you have. The second semi-final between Australia and Pakistan. Uh, I would say at the minute, I would be favouring, if I had to power rank it, probably Pakistan, England, New Zealand, Australia. Um, if you look at the runs, I think that's a good good spot to, um, to start. Pakistan have two of the top, what, six run scorers. They've got Baba Azam, who has scored 264 runs in five innings. He scored four fifties in five innings. And they had Muhammad Arizwan, who has 214 runs in five innings with two fifties. So between the two of those guys, they've scored, what, 478 runs in five games. Uh, so they're their openers, I'm pretty sure, Rizwan and Baba Azam. So... You know, talking to Turnsky, who has watched more of Pakistan than I have um, the last sort of two years, uh, he said definitely like it's a top-heavy, you know, that, that they're not necessarily the deepest batting lineup, but they have a powerhouse opening unit, and those two, obviously, two of the top six batsmen. And if you look at the other batsmen in there, in that top six, even if you look at the top ten, so of the, of the four... Um, of the four teams left, if you look at their representation in the top 10 um, for most runs scored, uh, you have Baba Azam and Muhammad Rizwan 
of Pakistan make up two of the top 10 for runs scored. Australia has David Warner with 187 runs. And New Zealand have Martin Guptill, who has 176. And then you have Joss Butler for the English, who has 240. He's the second highest run scorer. But the rest of those run scorers uh, are playing in the top 10, play for teams that are now out. Van der Dussen from South Africa, KL Rahul for India, uh, Richie Barrington for Scotland, Nisanka and Asalanka from Sri Lanka, uh, Dav- David Visa from Namibia. So Pakistan have an edge there, I think, with that opening pair because if they can get Pakistan off to a good start as they have all tournament, I think Pakistan have a real advantage there. Obviously, the, the Aussies and New Zealand and England all have one guy. You know, the English with Joss Butler, New Zealand with Guptill, and Australia with Warner. They've all got one sort of dominator with the bat at the top of the order, but Pakistan have two. They've got two guys who can get them off to great starts. So that's a real advantage. Now, as far as the wickets uh, are concerned, I do think Australia has one of the strongest bowling lineups. Um, Adam Zampa leads the wickets for the Aussies with 11, uh, second most in the tournament. You know, Hazelwood, Mitch Stark, um, Zampa, those three guys uh, are a pretty potent, you know, trio of bowlers for the Aussies in terms of being able to be economical and take wickets. New Zealand with Trent Bolt and um, trying to think of the other guy's name, Trent Bolt and oh, Southie, Tim Southie. Uh, nice fast bowling combo, but I th- I th- I'm trying to decide who I would give the edge to in the bowling lineups. So I'm putting this way, and we're going to give Pakistan the edge with the with the bowling. I think they've got the batting, they've got that powerhouse combo up the top where I think they can be explosive and put up just too many runs to chase. As far as bowling, I think New Zealand and Australia, like, yeah, if you power ranked the teams right now, I would say in terms of who I think has the best chance of winning the whole thing, I'd go Pakistan, uh, New Zealand, England, Australia. New Zealand and England, you could probably flip-flop between. In terms of batting prowess, I would probably go... Pakistan. Oh, that'd be a tough one. Pakistan, New Zealand, England, Australia. I don't think Australia's shown a great deal of depth with their batting. But then bowling, I would probably have to put Australia up top, Pakistan at the bottom, and then, you know, you'd work out, you know, England and New Zealand two and three, but I don't know quite which order. Maybe New Zealand. I really do like Tim Southey and, and um, Trent Bolt. Both really good bowlers. And Trent Bolt's got 11 wickets for the tournament. Um, Tim Southey's got seven. So 18 between them is a, is a pretty nice uh, spearhead there. And then you've got Ish Sodi uh, with eight wickets as a spinner as well. So New Zealand are in pretty good shape with the ball as well. Um so we get good matchups, I think, here. That's that's one key. We've got good matchups in England versus New Zealand and Australia and Pakistan. 
it could lead to some fascinating finals matchups. You could get Australia versus New Zealand, big rivalry game. You could get Australia, England, massive rivalry game. You could also get New Zealand, Pakistan, which I think, as far as a neutral goes, um, I guess I am a neutral. New Zealand, Pakistan would be a fascinating game, as, as would Pakistan, England. But I think. I think New Zealand-Pakistan would be a game where I'd be happy whoever won. I really don't want Australia to win it. I'm not a massive fan of Australia's cricket team. Uh, England, I'm here nor there on. But I'd, I'd be excited with, with either New Zealand or Pakistan winning the, winning the thing. So that's probably the matchup I want to see. I want to see New Zealand beat England. And I want to see Pakistan beat Australia. And then I'll be happy. From there, whoever wins doesn't bother me. Um, I will be easy with that one. All right, guys. I reckon I've just about talked myself out here. I reckon I'm done. Uh, I'll be back soon with another episode. Uh, probably do some recaps of these semifinals once they're done and dusted and I've got a chance to watch them. So much sport. So little time. <laughs> Hope you're doing well. And I will post some of these pictures from this Pittsburgh Penguins fact book from the 1978-1979 season so you can have a look at some of this. Um, yeah, some great pictures. All right, guys. Be well.